Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and today's episode is all about how to plan a float trip. You know, before we get in, I want to talk about a few housekeeping items here on the podcast. Something I would really like to ask, or we would really like to ask, is for your help. You know, we want to continue to see the podcast grow. Um, we want to get more into the video world. We need to make... Um, I don't know if you want to call them repairs or more enhancements to what we're calling a studio. Uh, studio is a, a glorified word, but we we want to be uh, more professional in, in what we're doing, but we do need some help to do that. And the best way that you can help us, we just ask that you consider becoming a partner. And, and how you do that, you go to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. In each of the bios, there is a link, a Linktree link. And when you click on that, There'll be several different boxes that can take you to all things meant to be outdoors. Please click on the one that says Patreon. If you go to that, there'll be three different options on how you can become our partner. Uh, basically, you agree to subscribe or, or give us $5, 10 or $25 a month. And to be honest, we need it. We really need the help, and we would hope that you would consider uh, helping that, helping the Meant to Be Outdoor podcast and, and helping other listeners uh, get this to the friends and family that, that they want to get it to. All of our social accounts, please follow those. We, we like to post videos. If there's any links about products we've been talking about, those will all be on those as well. If you would please leave us a review, whatever platform you're listening on right now, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Google, gosh, Ben, I think we're on like nine or 10 different podcast platforms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever you're listening on, leave us a review, leave us a rating. That will help us rank up on that platform so that when people are searching things like nature or outdoors, Meant to be Outdoors podcast is one of those that comes up and more people can give it a listen. Before we dive into this topic today about how to plan a float trip, a paddling trip, whatever you want to call it, we really need to give thanks for the things going on in our lives. I know I've said this on a few podcasts before, but I am so thankful for our listener. You know, Brian, we've, we're just about to reach 10,000 downloads on our podcast. Mm. That's awesome. We have over 6,000 followers right now on Facebook. That one kind of came out of nowhere. You know, some of the social content we've been posting has been, I guess, really reaching people, and, and people have been sharing it, and that's why Brian keeps asking for your help. Please share, share, share. And now we have over 8,000 people on our TikTok account. Yeah, it's, re- it's really cool to, to see some people latching on. Um, we, we're nobodies. We are nobodies. We'll, we'll always be nobodies. We're, we're, we're children of God, and so when, when people start to follow, it, it almost – it doesn't really feel doesn't really feel real. It doesn't really change how we feel or what's going on. But it is cool to see to see that people are are following along and, and latching on to some of the things that we love that we love to share about that we love to teach. And so we ask that if you see something and and it gives you a reaction of whether good or bad that you would share it, comment. We love uh, interaction. So especially on that meant to be outdoors podcast Q and A page. Oh yeah. Um, if it. If you want to be a member, go ahead and send the send the request. We'll pretty much approve anybody, and uh, you can interact with with what's going on in, in the meant to be world for sure. Hey Brian, let, let us know real quick what was the consensus on? You know, we did a poll in our Q and A uh, from last podcast. Um, was there a right answer, and and who won? 
Well, I don't know if there was a consensus. <laughs> okay. However, um, the question was, what is your definition of a creek? Your You as the listener. And more people voted for the clear, mm. flowing, spring-fed stream. That is right. their idea right. of a creek. Uh, really, the right answer is that it's subjective, that a definition of a creek varies from, from person to person. Um, but yeah, that that was more people's view, which is probably about right because we have so many followers and listeners that are born and raised here right. in the Ozarks. So their well, view matches our view yeah. of, of a, uh, a creek, spring-fed, small, clear, and flowing. A spoiled person that gets to see beautiful, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, waterways. Absolutely. You know, I I want to take um, my thanks might be kind of long, but I think it's important. Uh, I want to give thanks to God's character. It's so easy to overlook His character. It's hard to understand His character. Very hard because our God is so big, we can't even understand how big He is. But part of His character that I really want to focus on in my thanks today is his inclusiveness. We hear this word all the time in HR trainings and on the news and just in our culture about how we need to be more inclusive. The only fully inclusive being in the world is God the Father. He's the only one. He will include everyone. He will give everyone an opportunity to come to him. Now, if people choose over and over and over again to deny them, he will allow them to live in their sin, and he'll actually harden their hearts too. But everyone is included and has the opportunity to come from him. He wants to to lavish his grace to everybody. He wants to call everybody his sons and daughters. That is truly what he wants. Mm-hmm. And, and we are vessels of that, that grace and his spirit, and we're supposed to tell everyone that. So I want to share some of his word that backs up what I'm saying and just want everybody to know that I'm so thankful that he included me when I was living in sin and I still I still sin today, but he included me and I follow him and I love him and I'm so thankful for the grace and inclu- inclusiveness that he has shown me and the people that I love. Absolutely. You know, the, the inclusiveness though, Brian, is the is the forgiveness. And that's what separates him from anything else, you know, you use the, the word HR, you know, I was in a HR department for, for a while and I hated when we had to talk about inclusion because the moment that you try to include everybody, you always exclude somebody. And that's what, that's what's really cool here is that God includes everybody because of grace, because of free will, you get to choose. And in that choosing, you get to choose, mm-hmm. and that's where the inclusion comes in. It's not a puppet, you know. It's not a. I'm gonna make you love me. That's that's oh gosh, it's awesome. No matter what any person has done, he will lavish his grace on mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. if you accept it. If you accept the gift, it doesn't matter what you've done, and, and that is the fullest picture of inclusivity. That it's the only picture of it that it exists because like you said, in our human world, the way we talk, the moment we include someone, we exclude them. Yeah, We exclude someone else and we can't do it. He's the only one that can. And I'm so thankful for that uh, bit of his character. Uh, I don't want to skip over this without sharing some of God's word. This is Romans chapter nine, verse 25. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one 
who is not my loved one. I just think that's a perfect, he's literally saying like, you can say you don't love me, but the moment that you do, I'm going to call you my loved one. Mm -hmm. Like I love you, whether you like it or not, please come to me. That's all he wants today. And I am so thankful for that truth. If you are listening to this and you're battling, whether that is true, whether God is real, whether the things that you're feeling in your heart is God or you or the world, know that he wants you. He loves you. He will always be there for you. But you do have the free will choice to come to him or not. You do. And that's what makes it so special. It really is. So, Well, Ben, with that kind of heavy thanks, uh, that was on my heart. I just wanted to share that today. Uh, let's move into our topic, which is how to plan. I'm going to call it a float trip because that is the way people speak where we live. That is what people call it where we live. I'm going to call it that because if people do a, a Google search, that's what they're going to type in, right. how to plan a float trip. But is it really floating or is it paddling? And what's the difference? You know, studying recreation in college, this is one of the, this kind of the hot topic because studying that in this area, most people call it floating. But technically, if you have a paddle in your hand, then you are not floating. You are paddling. What if I ain't paddling? I'm just holding the paddle. Then you're paddling. <laughs> <laughs> because there are, um, you know, undefined other activities. So there are places you can go just to float, especially here where we live as well. You can rent rafts that don't have paddles. You get in them. You let the current of the river take you down to your exit, depending on how far that is. That, by my definition, not one you're probably going to just look up and find, that is technically floating. You are literally floating. It could be on a raft. It could be on an inner tube. It could be maybe on your back, <laughs> but you're floating from your, your put-in to your takeout. So the names are very literal. I think so because that's literally what you're doing. And if you're taking any kind of vessel that has, you know, I'm going to say a paddle in it, and you have to do physical work inside that vessel to get from point A to point B, then you are paddling. There is work to be done. There's skills to be had. Yeah, I think I get it now. So if I was standing up in a canoe swinging a paddle above my head, I'd be helicoptering. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, then what the people behind you would be looking at is like something is wrong. You use paddles to signal, especially if you're in the front. They'd be ducking. So they may be ducking. You may be telling them in paddle code, yo, something is up ahead. You got to duck. <laughs> Because we do use we use paddles to communicate to the people behind us, and how you hold the paddle in the air um, is a way to communicate. And so they wouldn't think helicopter; they would think duck. <laughs> the point of the whole story is floating is a very generic term used mm -hmm. for any trip down a river, whether canoe, raft, whatever it may be. Very generic term, maybe regionally. How people talk about it, I know in your, uh, we'll we'll call it the more professional world. Like when you get in into guiding and you studied this in college, is what your degree is in. People are going to call it paddling because there is actual distinction between the activities. But if people are going out for a day of recreation on the river where we live regionally, people call it floating. No G, yeah. floating, floating. And you have the other, you have whitewater rafting. You know they're not going to call that floating. <laughs> 
because <laughs> you've got to have some skill to do to do the rapids. And so there's the middle area, this paddling here on the Ozarks. You're not hitting these class one, two, three, maybe class one, but you're not hitting class two, three rapids for the most part. You're It's a gentle, smooth paddle. Um, and that's what you have to do to get from point A to point B. And and so today, when when we're defining like a float trip, we really are talking about paddling. Um, probably not going to be getting into where can I go put an inner tube with a cooler of drinks and go float. And right. so that's that's where I, that's how I want to define that today. But as we are talking, we may use the word floating, um, but we're still referencing a paddling vessel. Yeah. So let's talk about the very, very first step. I mean, the reason we're doing this right now is because it is the summer, it is hot, and this is, I know around where we live, this is such a popular activity. My whole life, this has been something I absolutely love to do. Like there's been a year or two when life has just been too busy and I never got to take a trip on the river. And almost kind of like a sick feeling in my stomach, like, oh my gosh, I missed one of the, one of my favorite outdoor activities that there is. From the fishing, to the camaraderie with the people, to eating meals on gravel bars, to just floating, wearing a life jacket like a diaper and floating down the river. Like, it, it is so enjoyable. Uh, the Bible uses the river. I mean, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Like, it uses, it talks about the river as life, and the river show so much there's so much symbolism around rivers like wherever rivers are there is life there is mm-hmm. green we all of our civilization and our settlements of our country started around rivers and, and bodies of water because you you have to have them and you feel that when you're out there like it's, it, it is life-giving and people will love it and it's gaining more popularity there's more outfitters than there ever has before there's different activities that people are coming up with to go do on the river. Mm-hmm. That's why we're doing this today. Really just so people can understand the process we go through to plan a paddling trip. A word that we're not going to define is leisure. And so within the recreation community, you have to understand what's leisure, what's recreation, what's play. And that's kind of where I start in this is, are you needing a release from hard work? You know, have you been working laboring and you're like, I need to release from that. I'm going to go paddling. I don't know. You know, when we talk about leisure, there's three aspects to it that I've learned. It's called amusement. You have recreation and you have contemplation. And in amusement, you're looking, um, it, an example would be like, um, Brian likes to sit at his table with his binoculars and he looks at birds. That's he's literally watching birds live their life. Why are you telling all my secrets, man? Well, it ain't a secret. It ain't a secret no (laughs) more. But that is going to be amusement. And are you wanting to go out for that reason? Or are you getting into recreation like backpacking and hiking and paddling? And and you really enjoy using that paddle, putting it in the water, using your body, your core, and and working your way up and down the stream? Or, Or are you going for contemplation, which is that step further that Brian is actually really good at is the study of nature. Like you are out in it to learn, to, to contemplate, to, to go above and beyond It's There's a, a, a deeper meaning for being there. And so you kind of have to check yourself of why am I going? And I feel like here in the Ozarks, most people are going because their buddies called and said, Hey, let's go float. So someone within that group 
is the leader and they're leading it. And if you're not that person, if you're not the leader, then you're just going to be following with what they've created. And hopefully with what we talk about today, after we're done, you could either be the leader or you understand why the leader has done what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And and why that's important is because some people feel like, you know what, I've got to get away from work. I need to go to the outdoors. Let's go do a float trip. Well, I'm here to tell you that unless you have somebody leading the way, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and these trips don't happen without a leader. Otherwise, you get, hey, you know what, we ought to do a float trip sometime, five six, seven, eight, nine, ten years go by and you're still like, hey, we ought to do that float trip we talked about. Right. Somebody does have to take the lead for the trip to happen or it won't happen. Yeah, and I want to add in too that if there is no leader or perhaps no one really knows what to do, then the place to start is an outfitter. Mm-hmm. They literally do everything for you. You have to sh- just show up. But somebody still has to take the lead and call the <laughs> Correct? Yeah. So that one person does and that may be you. But that would be the first place I would start. Are you wanting to plan this yourself? And if you don't want to put in the work, you don't want to put in the time, that is why there are more outfitters today than there's ever been mm-hmm. because people want to check out from work. And I'm here to tell you that some of this trip planning is work. It's work. Yep. It is. So the very first thing that you need to do, obviously, is is pick a time to mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Ben and I, we say Let's this. Let's go all- right now. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> people go. do that. And, and there are people that are... There are r- people that seems rare that are able to live that spontaneously. Dude, I, it it ain't me. I am not one of them. Once you pick a time to go, it's on the calendar. You know what day you're going. You really got to decide, start answering these questions like, do I need to make reservations? Who's going with me? Am I going by myself? Am I going to meditate and recharge in nature? Is this a family reunion and 30 people are going? Maybe you need to plan further out if that's the case. Is it just you and your family, you and a couple buddies from college? Who's going with you? Get them on board. Make sure it's on their calendars, too, so that everybody is on the same page. Yeah, and what's awesome is when you place this trip in the calendar, you can quickly see what season you're going to be in. And going, paddling in the wintertime is not fun for me. So I am not going to place that. I'm not going to pick that time. Um, Spring, you have to be careful because... It could still be really cold for those people, especially I'm talking water temps. You know, just because you may be warm in your vessel, you may not if you flip. So when you're picking and you're making reservations, you're picking this time on the calendar, make for sure you're thinking about seasons and you're thinking about weather. And if you are going to go through an outfitter, plan ahead because there are very popular stretches of popular rivers that you may have to plan next year. I mean, it, yeah. that core time from when school gets out in May to when public school starts again at, at the end of August, early September, they are busy, especially around holidays, Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day. You may be planning for next year. That's you, true. That... You really need to th- consider uh, where you're going and, and how popular and busy that place is. Because there are limits on numbers, depending on where you go in the nation. Um they do sometimes require you to put in for a lottery um, to get drawn in certain places. So <laughs> it really depends on where you're going. Mm-hmm. But you got when you're making those reservations, these are all those things that you need to be thinking about. So how do you decide where you're going? You know, here in the Ozarks, we have so many options that it really is hard. It really is. I think that I always, if I'm leading this and, and I'm the one putting it together – I ask the group, 
because I'm usually not going by myself. So who's going with me and what's their experience? And that's where I start because there are areas within where we live that you can get into some pretty tricky places that you have to be knowledgeable. You have to know how to paddle before I'd go. So me and my eight-year-old probably aren't going to go to those places. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, of considering the group's experience level. Because if if you're the most experienced and you end up taking people that are not very experienced, now you're you may bear more responsibility on your shoulders for making sure that they get through this. Because the river is so. You mentioned the word leisure. Mm-hmm. There are places that are so leisurely, and mm-hmm. in the snap of a finger, it be, can become life threatening. I've been there. I've been in that instance where I was literally, if I didn't make the right move, right decision, I could I could have died. Yeah. And right before that, I was reeling in a three-pound smallmouth bass. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, correct. The epitome of leisure for me to fighting not only to make sure that I live, but uh, the person that was in my boat with me lives. So all of that can happen in the blink of an eye. Make sure that you know the river. Call, ask questions if you've never been there before. Reach out to some of the outfitters. They're going to be able to tell you. Um, usually there's different stretches. They'll say, hey, this this six mile from this access to this river access that is the easiest flow but it's also the most popular so make sure that make sure that you're getting on on the calendar now and picking a time to go and where you go kind of goes together because there are stretches uh here's an example where we live south of us is arkansas and it's the buffalo national river Mm. and there are times of year when you cannot float the upper portion because it's just too dry right now as we record this the upper portion of the river is not floatable. Right. The bottom portion of the river is. However, that bottom portion has a lot less access and isn't as popular, but it holds water even when it has water in it, even when we're in severe drought conditions like we are now. So definitely want to to ask those questions of yeah. how much flow is there. Correct. You know, uh, our last podcast was creek fishing, and this would be an awesome time when the water is low and you can't float anymore. That'd be an awesome time to go wade it and fish it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the flip side of that, Ben, spring, fall, you need to check the flow of the river. And there's websites you can go and they'll tell you how many cubic feet per second that these rivers are flowing. And through some research or asking outfitters, you'll they'll kind of give you a core window of it needs to be between 300 cubic feet per second and 600 cubic feet per second to really have a, a good float. In the spring, in the fall, sometimes it's too high, mm-hmm. and that's when it becomes dangerous. Yeah. And they'll still let you go. You can take your boat. You can still rent canoes. They're still going to let you go, but it's probably not the best idea to be on the river at those times because the flow would be considered flooding, and that is when you can get into some some honestly f- fatal situations. Yeah, when it's when the water is outside of its banks – Really, you shouldn't be on that flooded kind of water. However, when the water rises, as it's rising, though, that's when you can get into class two, class three rapids on different water areas. And if you're skilled in that and you know how to do it, that is the time to go. If you don't have the skills, then stay off it. <laughs> that's simple, right? And if you're asking yourself, well, I don't know, do I, am I, could I handle class two <laughs> yeah. or class three? The answer is no. Nope. If you're asking yourself, the answer is no, and, and just stay home. Don't go out there to test to see if you can. Yeah, and you probably don't even have the equipment to go do that. So right. if you have just a normal kayak, then you need to find those normal water levels. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I'm picking where to go, I'm going to take things into consideration, like we're talking about. What's the water level? 
I honestly like more secluded. I don't like what I call the party rivers, mm-hmm. where you can't even really fish because there's so many people out there partying. Well, let me, let me boxes and drinking and well, swimming. And that's what I wanted and, to define too, because I have been on some rivers here in the Ozarks that, um, and, and I'm just going to just, I'm going to stop with this on this point, but there are people from the banks that are throwing beads to the people that are floating by. Right. And it gets ridiculous. I mean, yeah, so should, it's not it's for not my family. family environment. Yeah, exactly. It isn't Correct. a family environment. So I am going to choose based on, yeah, I guess why I'm going. I want to be kind of secluded. If I have to drive out into the middle of nowhere to get some of these places I'm going to, I want to be me and my party and maybe see another party or two and to be able to fish and feel like I'm in nature and wilderness while I'm out there. So I'm taking that into consideration when I'm choosing the river that I'm going on. Usually that means I have to drive further is what that usually means. That I have to drive further out than most people are willing to go. And that's okay. I'm okay with that because of what I'm looking for in a river. Um, also, I'm going to take into consideration the fishing. There are rivers that have uh, smallmouth sanctuaries where you can only catch one 18-inch fish. But because of that, there's a whole bunch of 15-inchers. There are places that... that uh, people fish so much there's so much pressure that it is hard to fish it is hard to catch a fish there and i tried to stay away from those places because one of the biggest reasons that i go on these paddling trips is to catch fish so really i guess what you love take that into consideration when you're planning the trip um can you camp along the way is it open camping some rivers are completely closed off you can't camp what activities are you going to do pick areas based on what you desire yeah, so when you're planning a trip, Brian just talked about like camping and that alone takes time to set and really think through because I've been on trips before where from a map, even from Google to some other software, Onyx, whatever we're using at the time, sometimes it's physical maps, I'm finding these gravel bars where I think I'm going to stay and I've been to that spot where that gravel bar is supposed to be and it is no longer a gravel bar and you have to have an option a different option a plan b six feet under the water (laughs) yeah it's under the water or it's overgrown with vegetation like right um because of every year when you have flooding in your river systems it changes the waterways so your topo maps that you have your physical copies that that are awesome and worked last year could be a little different um and so when you're planning you'll want to have different options and you have to think through that now to people that love to trip plan you know you can hear that brian's been this whole time looking through the lens of fishing so if he's planning a a paddling trip that is the lens that he's attacking at out of i want to go where i know there's fish other people are like you know what i want i want more flow i don't want to be paddling all day long to get from point a to point b and so you're going to have to find swifter more flowing water and then some people love to literally lay back and set in pockets and hang out. They don't want to to make it a, a long trip. They want to make it maybe a, a it's a short trip, but they want to hang in you know areas. And so we actually have some outfitters here locally that do tube floats where they will take you up two miles. You get a t- inner tube and you f- you literally float down those two miles and get out. You know, that lens, that mindset is so different than what Brian's talking about with fishing. Because, But both are activities that you can plan and prepare for, and you can do on your own without an outfitter. And so remember, you have to first start, when am I going? Where am I going? And then now we got to start thinking about what do I need to take with me? Well, Ben, let me ask you this. Are there any places that you have to pull permits or have licenses 
to go? Is that something that people need to consider? Or are most rivers just open? If you can get on, you can get on. You know, here where we live, most rivers, you can just get on. There are areas that you have to get permits, and that's what we were sharing earlier. If there are areas that require drawing, there's areas that you will have to pay to play. Also, if you're going to get into fishing, you do have to have permits. So if we wanted to go paddle on the Buffalo National River, Brian would have to buy an Arkansas license because he lives in Missouri. Those are things that you have to have before you go. So when you're trip planning, you want to sit down and think about why am I going? Am I going for amusement, recreation, contemplation? And, and with inside that, what in the world am I going to need? Mm-hmm. And you know, that's where it gets fun for me personally because I love equipment. And so sometimes the reason that I actually go is because I get something new. I remember a professor of mine back in college, he got a brand new paddle, brand new wooden paddle. This thing was beautiful. And the only reason we went on a trip was to test the paddle. Test the paddle. And yeah. so sometimes that's why it's really hard just to share. Like when we're talking about trip planning, I don't know the reason you're going. And so when you know why you're going, that's going to help you to plan for your trip. Because I have been before where I went on trips just because my buddies were going. And frankly, I was there for relationship. It wasn't there to fish. It wasn't there to camp. It wasn't there. It was just to be in fellowship. But if I were a betting man, you had a fishing pole. I always take a fishing pole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in college, we did a leadership series where it was like a, and I'm, it's been so long ago now. I'm, I can't remember how many days. I think we did four days. Maybe not. Maybe it was three. Anyway, we, we did a, a, like a three-day paddling trip. And within that, we were working on leadership and, and skills. And I am the only one out of, I think there was two, four, six. I think there was like eight, eight girls and eight guys or, or right around there. And I was the only one out of 16 of us that brought a fishing pole. <laughs> Everybody else, they were there to paddle. And that was really my first eye-opening experience that most people do not fish while they're paddling or floating. Like, right. it's just not something they do. And I think I stirred some interest in some of the people that I went with of like, you know what, you can do both. Whereas today, we're you know we're fast-forwarding now to how many years ago was that? Yeah, fit. 15 years ago. Maybe. Yeah. Now they sell kayaks just to fish out of. Yeah. That's, and that, that's, that's how that the time before the, yeah, yeah, before yeah. the kayak craze. Crazy. Well, with, with you bringing up kayak, that really is, when you start talking about gear, equipment, that's the first question you need to answer once you know where you're going is, well, what vessels are we going to use? How are we going to get down the river? Is it a canoe? Is it a kayak? People are doing paddle boards now on, on these trips, mm-hmm. which I know you're really, really wanting to try. You mentioned just the tube. There's John boats. There's you can rent guides, and it's no longer a paddling trip. But you can rent guides that will take you out in a jet boat on the river if you want to go just do yeah. it for fishing. Yeah. I have went miles and miles down the river, just with my body in a a, a throw cushion, like just floating down the river. How are you going? And you need to pick that, and and then you need to acquire those vessels. Mm-hmm. Where are you getting them? Are you renting them? Are you buying them? Are you borrowing them? Do you already have them? Those are questions you need to start answering. How many do I need for how many people are going? Am I responsible for getting eight boats for the 16 people or am I getting mine and everybody else take care of theirs? That is all worth considering when you're trying to decide. I mean, that's kind of a big obstacle, honestly, on a lot of these trips is making sure you have enough, I'm going to say boats, vessels for everyone that's going. 
that's why that's why outfitters again have become so popular because they have everything you need and you show up. In, in planning your own trip, though, not only do you have to look at your equipment, how many boats do I have? Do I have enough paddles? Do I have enough life jackets mm-hmm. to go with all of that? What's my budget for all this? Because right. outfitter may be out of the question. You Could may be. need to borrow four boats, making phone calls, doing all that to make sure that it fits the budget that you have for the trip. The next part of planning is how am I getting this equipment there? So if you're looking at kayaks, rafts, whether the rafts are inflatable or not, um, you know, there's inflatable kayaks is what I'm trying to share there too. Like, you know, we have been asked this meant to be outdoors has, has been contacted by a few people and they've, they've asked the questions of like, Hey, I want to get into kayaking. I want to get into paddling and, and really thinking about kayaking. Like, what do I need for me? And that's, what's so difficult to answer for them. Because my question is, how are you getting to where you're going? Do you have a pickup truck? Do you have a trailer and a pickup truck? Do you have a van that you can hook a trailer to? Do you have a van that you can put it all in or on top of? Mm-hmm. So you really have to look at what vehicle, what, what form of transportation do I have to get there? You know, I saw a full-size pickup truck um, last week that had two medium-sized kayaks on a trailer. And I like I looked at my wife and I was like, I wonder why they're doing that because both of those kayaks, empty, Nothing in them, both empty, could have easily fit in the bed of that truck. And so I don't know why they were pulling their kayaks on a trailer, but that is an option. And that's something that people can do. And so how are you getting there? And, and really, can you fit your equipment, you know, in your vehicle? Yeah. Well, there there were times that uh, me and my buddies, we were stacking four high kayaks <laughs> on top of a Honda Civic, you know? Yeah. If there's a will, there's a way. There is. But, you know, if something would have happened, if those vessels would have broke free from that car and you had to cause, I mean, you, (laughs) there's risk in that. So (laughs) secure your load, people. Four kayaks on top of a car. That ain't even. Like 36 truckers hitches on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I guess you pulled it off, man. Just be careful out there. Yeah, we're we're all good today. You know, you are right in answering the question too of the boat size like i know you have a a 15 foot uh canoe and i've been in 15 footers and man a couple people in those decent sized people like it's not super stable you can get into these big cargo canoes that are bigger and wider they have wider beams and and they're super stable so how much gear are you taking with you to fit in there I bought my kayak. My big decision for a fishing kayak was between a 10 and and 12 footer. Mm -hmm. And I made the decision for the 10 because I knew a lot of places that I go, I have to actually carry my boat. Mm -hmm. I have to carry it from the water, say to a parking lot or to my truck. And that was the actual weight of the boat being 75 pounds with my gear. And it is about as heavy as I could carry and move a distance. Would I prefer to have a 12-footer some days when I'm on the water to fit more gear in? I would. I absolutely would. Uh, and you're going to be able to carry uh, more weight in that as well. So if if you're somebody that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm right around 200 pounds. So with my gear, I fit under that 350-pound limit on my kayak. But sometimes uh, people that may maybe weigh 300 pounds plus their gear, they may have to step up to that bigger kayak so that it supports their body size. You have to take all that into consideration. 
How strong am I at paddling? Mm-hmm. Are you only a hundred pound person? Maybe you need to get even a smaller kayak. Right. You have to think about all that before you choose the boat that you're taking. Yeah. And, and to add into how do I get there? It's also, how do I get back? And another reason people really contact those outfitters, because this is actually a phase in your planning that you can rely on outfitters to help you and not do all the work for you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you and I, before Brian, we've, we've done some paddling trips where we had outfitters um, drop us off at our put in so that when we got, when we got to our takeout, our vehicles would be there. Right. You know, if you don't have that outfitter set up, then you are going to have to buddy up and, and take several vehicles to drop off. Um, at certain positions and locations so that you can get back to right. your original destination. You know, that's <laughs> that's something else I want to add here. <laughs> I've had people before on some trips. Now, these are kids. The majority of them were kids. I, I think I had an adult one time. It was the staff that would brought up the kids. But they thought that uh, we would. I know where you're going here. <laughs> they thought this, that, is, this is, yes. You know, know they thought that where here. we put in that we were going to end back at. <laughs> that we were going to get back to point A when we got to point B. And like then, the and river was a lazy a river at yeah. Whitewater. Yeah. yeah. And so remember, wherever you put in, unless you're planning on paddling back up river, um, you're going to have to figure out how am I going to get back here um, by vehicle to get to get my vehicle. Right. So I'll, I want to address real quick what that looks like. We've mentioned an outfitter a lot. I honestly have been on more trips without outfitters yeah, than I yeah. have with. Mm-hmm. And so I want to address what that looks like without an outfitter because it is more economically friendly if you have the vehicles and the boats to do it without hiring someone else. You, you're going to save more money on that trip. You're going to go to whatever state the river's in. We're going to use Missouri. I can go to the Missouri Department of Conservation website, select that river, and I can find all of the state-ran access points where there are boat ramps and parking lots. And that's really all that's there is you have a road to get to the river and a, a boat ramp and a parking lot. And you can see all the mileages from all those access points. And then you decide how far do I want to go. Okay, I'm going to do... I'm going to do eight miles today. Okay, here's an eight-mile stretch. Looks like there's good flow. Then you have to make arrangements. Say, I would call you and say, hey, Ben, meet me at uh, the end, the parking lot, this access point that we're ending. I'll pick you up there. We leave your truck there. We drive back to the access point where we're starting, put our boats in. We float down to your truck, take our boats out, put them in your truck. At the end of the day, drive back to my truck and get it. So... Those shuttle periods at the beginning and end add quite a bit to your day, so you need to plan for them. Sometimes you may only be floating six or seven miles by the river, but it may take you 40 minutes to drive from the parking lot to parking lot where your vehicles are. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. 99% of outfitters are on public land, and so they're using these same water systems that you are because we all get to use it. And so why I keep bringing up outfitters is to share the point that they've already done all the work so if you don't know what to do or where you're going, you can call them. You can ask them what they're going to charge. You can ask them where they are going to drop you off and pick you up. And you already have half of your trip planned. It is the easiest <laughs> option. So well, no, what I'm saying is, is, is if you're going to a new body of water that you have never experienced before and you want to do a trip, instead of trying to get on the maps and, and really plan it, call them and ask what their trip is. Like, what do they charge and what would the trip be? And that already gives you a point A and point B because if they're able to use it, then you are too. You're the public, right? Mm-hmm. So 
they already have kind of that trip itinerary kind of lined out. And that's, that's a great way to start if you've never been on that body of water before. And obviously they can, a lot of them will have different options. Like you can just rent their boats. You can literally drive to them and pick up their boats or they'll drop boats off for you. They'll mm -hmm. provide the shuttle service. They have packages of what they can provide for you. Some of them, you can drive to their, we'll call it their headquarters, which is usually their campground and office. You can get in their shuttle. They'll drive you up with your boats, drop you off with your boats, and you can float back down to their campground and then camp for the night. Mm -hmm. So they're providing the place to stay, the transportation, the vessels to float in, the flotation devices, the coolers, the trash bags, they will provide <laughs> the, the paddles. Bag, yeah. They'll provide yeah. all of that stuff. Or maybe you just need the shuttle and you have your own boat. They'll even help you with that. A lot of these places are flexible. They're trying to make a dime too. Yeah. So that they will help you get out on the river with whatever pieces you're missing in your trip planning. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, on this podcast, we're, we're really kind of digging into how do you trip plan. And there are so many options and so start really simple first. And, and that's what I mean. Like um, when I was a kid growing up, we we didn't really use outfitters. Um, however, I know that like sometimes we may be like a one canoe short. And so we may have, you know, we may need eight canoes and we only owned seven between all of us. Then I'm going to I'm going to offset that by I'm going to have an outfitter. I'm going to rent one from them. Safety point. Yeah. Rent the extra boat. Don't split those people up and put three in a boat. <laughs> the more people you have in a vessel on the river, the more dangerous it becomes in a hurry. get the, Spend the extra money. Get the boat for everybody. If you're like, I ain't listening to Brian. Who cares? I'm putting three in. Then have them set in the very bottom. And, and you can get like camping chairs now that just set directly on the ground like there's no legs on it. Like do something like that. Do not put a chair <laughs> In the middle of, of your canoe and have someone set up. Set big up, and tall and proud. You know, big, tall, and proud is going to flip you. And unless that's your reason for going, you're not right. going to have fun. Yeah. You know, borrowing is a great option, too. With the kayak craze, kayaks are accessible. They are affordable. A lot of people have kayaks. Most people who have kayaks use them once every two or three years and will let you borrow them. It doesn't hurt to ask. All they're going to say is no. People borrow kayaks all the time. People seem to be more prone to borrow or to lend a kayak out than even a canoe or a raft or a paddleboard. Kayaks, it, honestly, if you make a few phone calls, it may be a friend of a friend. It seems like most people can track down a kayak to borrow. Yeah. I mean, well, and like you said, today there there are so many brands, so many options. Um I think the most important part, though, if you're borrowing, is make for sure you get one that fits you. You know, I was, I was kind of looking at maybe selling a kayak. I had a, a ten foot, and if you've got somebody that's that's, let's just say it's a big old brute man, <laughs> he may not be able to to not only fit in it, it may not be appropriately sized for him. It may not hold his weight, and so, yeah, just ask around, but know that information before you you borrow and take it. Right, and now. There's other options too. If you are wanting to get into more the, what I call the party float, where they're offering tubes and rafts, mm -hmm. not every outfitter is going to offer those. One, because they're kind of hard to move. The rafts can be hard to move. Mm -hmm. Two, some rivers don't allow them. Three, the places that do offer them, they don't, 
like if you go to some some rivers around here, you'll see like all rafts and tubes and maybe like two canoes all day. They don't really mesh together that well. Yeah. And well, so if you're looking for that, make sure you are finding an outfitter that provides that and know that it's probably going to be not probably it's going to be a much different experience than paddling a kayak or a canoe down the river a uh, little more with these rafts and tubes it's a little more um uh, free i what well, you don't have as much control no yeah it is a lack of control yeah. that's why i don't enjoy it um you know to help define a couple things here tubes are usually going to be single person you know it's just you in the tube um we call them inner tubes. There's some larger tubes, but it's usually just a single person. You ever, you float. ever, you ever see the the people there in their tube? Then they've got a rope and two more tubes tied to them. One's carrying the boombox, and the other one's carrying the cooler. And so it's one person, three tubes going going down the <laughs> you're, river. You're with. really dating yourself because you said boombox. Boombox. <laughs> you know oh, what yeah, I mean? Because so. it's not boombox anymore. They're uh, they're the little. Okay. Uh, what are what they are called? Yeah, see, we, it's the little tiny speakers, waterproof speakers now they carry. Bluetooth speakers. Bluetooth speaker. Yeah, you bad. know, boombox. I love it. But yeah, <laughs> no, they would. Uh, they'd play their music, they'd, they'd bring their alcoholic beverages, and they'd float. You know, a raft usually can handle multiple people. Yeah, like eight, ten people. In yeah, some of it's, those, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of this is, is where I've had the experience of this, what I would call floating, is the Merrimack River in Missouri. And that's literally what you're going there to do um, is to float, not to paddle. Not to so paddle. So if you like that lack of control where you're letting the flow, the normal flow rate of the river take you down to your next point, then, then that may be for you. All right. How the heck do you pick how far you're going? Because I hear things all the time. Like, I hear people say, yeah, we did a float on Saturday. We did 12 miles. And me personally, if I do 12 miles, it's too, that's too long for me for one day because all I did was try to get through it from one end to one end. So how do you choose how far you're going? What's inappropriate for one day, two day, three day? Brian, that's a really good question. I think that's, that's one that someone needs to write down and, and part of their planning because are you going to camp? Or are you just making this a day trip? And that's the first question you have to ask yourself. How much time am I planning to spend on the water? And so I think a rule of thumb, now this doesn't work on your whitewater rafting side, but on your normal flow rates of all of our river systems, especially here in the Ozarks, is about two miles an hour is what it's going to take you. So if you know that it's going to take you two miles an hour, then you are going to need to plan accordingly to how many miles can you get in with the time limit that you have, or are you camping? Mm -hmm. And if you're camping, then you can kind of cheat a little bit because you may say, you know what, it is getting closer to dark, but I can get in one more mile before it gets dark, you know, and, and you know that within there is going to be some gravel bars to camp at. So in trip planning, you want to have this all laid out. Um, am I going a day trip? Am I doing an overnight? Am I doing a multi um, day trip. And then from there, you, you can look at two miles an hour as average and you can figure out how many miles do you want to paddle. And, you know, Brian and I, we had looked at maybe putting a 50 mile <laughs> trip together and man, that kind of got stressful because we were going to do 10 mile days, break it into five nights. Yeah. yeah and that's not too bad, but 10 mile a day it's by day three, you're going to feel it. You know, if you're going to do 10 miles in one day, that really isn't too bad. 10 miles in one day, that 10 to 12 miles in one day 
without doing much fishing isn't bad. It mm-hmm. really is not bad at all. That is about one day. It'll say seven hours. For me, and this is sheerly from experience, it's kind of personal because it is how fast that I do this. I have found in all my years of spending time on the river that six to seven miles, that range right there, I can do six to seven miles if I get on the river early around the first couple hours of light and be off around the last couple hours of light and not miss anything that I want to fish. Literally fish everything in those six to seven miles that I want to fish. Once I start getting past that eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, I have to skip things that I want to fish, picking what I think are the best spots to fish if I'm going to be off the river before dark. Yeah. And for those that aren't fishing, you kind of heard him say it like you can get there decently quick. And, and some people enjoy, you know, where Brian's going to stop and, and pick apart the river and do some fishing. That gives you an opportunity to, to bank your your yeah. whatever vessel you have to bank it get out and maybe explore for a little bit stretch your legs eat a snack or two i mean if you're that leisure person where you just want to kick back and, and kind of relax you will have some time without that and that's what i think brian's sharing is is there's time in there to fish and to get from point a to point that's B. a really good point on those six to seven miles days when i'm fishing a lot I like not having to worry about speed, like literally go as slow as I want. If I fish a pool down one side and I want to go back up the other side and literally go upriver, I want to have the freedom to do that. I also like to stop for lunch. Yeah. Maybe build a little twiggy fire and cook something or yep. build your sandwich and sit and eat it. Sometimes take close your eyes if you've got a nice shady spot and take a little 10-minute siesta. Yeah. I love having, having the freedom and not being rushed. I've been on trips when they're rushed and I don't enjoy them as much. No, because to me, then it is work. And and that is kind of what I was trying to share earlier, that that your your contemplation, your recreation, your amusement, all three of those take place within this activity. And you get to kind of choose when you're building your, your day, you know. Right. But I want to dig down just, we need to go a little bit farther in how do I know my mileage? Like, what is it? And it all depends on where am I putting in and where do I have to take out? You know, we joked earlier that it's not a circle. You don't end up there. So the most important thing is, where am I leaving from? Because now you know your mileage. Now you know where you have to drop your vehicles off at. And now you can decide is from point A to point B, is that farther than six to seven miles? And don't you paddle past that. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why I'm saying that we digging down to this. You have to know your takeout. You have to, and you do not pass your takeout or that now your trip is Mm going to be very difficult because are you paddling back up? Can you not pedal back up? Are you going to have to call somebody? What What are you doing? So do not miss your your exit route. Awesome tip. We've given this tip before. Want to give it again. There are many apps now, mapping apps, that you can download maps onto your phone before you go so that you have those distances, the put-in and takeouts on your phone, even if you don't have service on your phone. Super valuable tool. Yeah, because they're, they're using GPS now, which is awesome. So if you don't have cell service, your GPS will still work. And that's why a lot of these apps, you download the maps offline so that the GPS still places you on that topo downloaded map and you still have an idea of where you're at. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, you know, if, if you've got a $2,000 phone, then <laughs> you better put it in some dry thing that's going to work but um it is awesome to to have technology because it is so effective today right so once you get on the water you know how far you're going 
Something I like to take into consideration is there anything I want to stop, any side hike? Mm-hmm. Is there a cave along the way that I want to stop and check out? Are there springs that I want to stop and hike up? Are there trails built in around this area that I want to go check out? And if there are, make sure you're planning that into your your 8 to 10 hour window of daylight that you have. Uh, if you're going to stop for two hours and explore, make sure you still got time to get to that takeout point before dark. Because being on the river at dark, can you be on the river at dark? Yeah, you can. Really is not very safe and it's not very comfortable either. You kind of get uneasy. Yeah. I mean, the reason I say don't paddle at night is this kind of leads into the, like, what risks do you need to identify while going? And, and I think I was going to kind of bring that up later, but let's talk about it right now because at night wouldn't be dangerous. It really wouldn't if you didn't have what's called strainers. And so in our Ozark waterways, we have strainers. And these are basically, we'll just give you the example, a tree that has fallen over. It could be completely submerged underwater. It could even be sticking out a little bit, but as the the flow, the rate of that stream is going through that tree, it becomes an actual strainer, something like you would pour your noodles in to let the water go through and it catches it and it can catch. You're the noodle. You're the noodle yeah. and or, or your boat is, yeah. is the noodle and then you become a noodle too when it tips over and it traps you there and it can drown you. And so, you know, if you are on a stretch that you knew had no strainers, was a calm, you know, it might be, it might be fun for you. Let's say you're camping and, and you're in a area that doesn't have much flow. It is so fun of a night to get in your kayak and just to go out and flip some of those spots right there by your campsite. But I would not advise to, to travel distances at night. It, it can and is dangerous to do for sure. All right. Next question for you after your, your valuable sage wisdom there. What, you know what? I need to disclaimer this for you before I ask, okay, gear man? Okay. We're already an hour in. Almost. We're almost an hour into this podcast, and I don't want it to be four hours. So I'm going to disclaimer this, go through it with a, a general overview. What are you taking? What gear are you taking on a float trip? Because you can fill up a boat. Just bend and gear is enough to go in one boat. That's right, man. You're going to take more than the normal person. <laughs> Give an overview of what somebody should consider to take. Well, are you the leader or the follower? So if you're the leader, no matter if, um, you know, you could be an emergent leader in this group to where you have more knowledge than anyone, even though you didn't plan it. And at the end of the day, if you have to stand before a judge in the court of law, like you're, you're standing there before the judge, did you do everything that you could with the experience and training you have? And and that's where I lead from because even though I may not have put a trip together, if I'm the most experienced on this trip, then I do believe it is yours or my responsibility to do what it is you're trained or know. And so that's why I may take a few things more than, than the normal person is going to because I feel like there is a responsibility due to my training and background. And I want to be able to stand before anybody and say, this is what I did. This is why, and, and be okay with that. So that's where I'm at in that. So when I, when I pack anything, we talk about this on almost in every podcast, hopefully you guys are starting to really take it to heart. You have to take food, fire, shelter, water, what equipment you want inside that you get to pick, decide and buy and collect and organize and, and make it's what's so fun, food, fire, shelter, water. Once you have those, when we're talking about a paddling trip, 
we have to add in some other equipment. What vessel am I taking? And then what is the safety side? What paddle matches my vessel? You know, what life jacket matches my vessel? There are different types of life jackets. Some are U.S. Coast Guard approved where you can use them in a bass boat. But some of those that you can use in a canoe, you can't use in a bass boat. So know your vessel, know your safety equipment, you know, and know your your paddles, what, what goes with what. That would be where I'd start. Then I'm going to dig in and I am going to take some first aid hygiene. You know, people don't think about poop and pee when they go out here and they just, they say, oh, I'm just going to adapt and go with the flow. Literally. (laughs) Here's the problem with that. You're leaving it nasty for other people. And so you need to learn how to bury your poop, bury your toilet paper. You know, if you need to pee, pee on a tree, pee on a rock, that way as it dehydrates, you know, as it evaporates, squirrels have some salt, they say. So Remember, food, fire, shelter, water. What's my transportation? First aid, hygiene, and then what's fun for you? You know, Brian's going to throw in fishing equipment. That alone is its own podcast. We, you know, we've talked about creek fishing, but if you're going to go in some bigger rivers and lakes, <clears throat> I'm taking different equipment. So start with food, fire, shelter, water. Those are your basic needs. Ensure that you and your whole group has what they need for that. And then you can get into the other side, the transportation and the hygiene, the first aid, and then your tools and weapons. Um, am I taking knives? Um, you know, some parts of the country, depending on what stream systems, some people carry bear spray, some people carry a 45. So know your area before you go. Man, I really just want to know if you're taking like a chair and a sandwich or or what. Then you're a follower, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> And that's okay. That's what I'm saying. Like some people that follow, they are just wanting to take the minimum and that is okay for them because that's why they're going. And that's why it all starts with why are you going? I don't know why that is. You have to decide it for yourself. Yeah. And I I say all this very jokingly. Ben does like to take a lot of equipment. There's been times when I didn't have something and I needed it. And I was, I was so glad that he did. And a lot of times People are borrowing because they didn't bring, uh, we're kind of kindred spirits in that. I bring quite a bit of stuff too. Uh, I love to have things that probably not going to need, but I might just need. And if I do need it, I'm going to be so thankful that I have it. So there are things to take in consideration uh, like hatchets, but really just kind of down to the basics. I'm going to have a cooler of food and water. I'm going to probably make sure that I have more not probably, I am going to have more water than I think I need. If weight starts to become an issue, then I'm going to make sure that I have equipment to get water, the right filters or chemicals to, to disinf- uh, disinfect, the right chemicals to uh, purify my water. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I have double the amount of food that I'm going to be out there for. What I mean by that is if I'm planning to only be out there, my only meal I'm having is lunch, I'm going to have at least two meals. One, I might end up having to stay out there that night and I didn't plan to. Two, someone else may not bring food, forget their food, or lose their food along the way because they dumped their boat and lost their cooler. So I'm always going to bring a little bit more than I know that I need just for myself. That may just be something that is comforting to my mind, but a lot of times it ends up getting used. Yeah, and those are it's a really good point, Brian. What about chairs? I know there are all kinds of things out there now, things that snap onto canoe seats. Um, people will throw in extra chairs so that when they stop and have lunch, they can set up like a little uh, day camp at their site that they're doing that. Do you take any of that consideration? 
you know, when you're talking about paddling, floating, what is so awesome about that is that you are able to take more equipment than if you're going to go hiking and backpacking. Yeah, because you don't have to carry it. Because you don't have to carry it. So that's what's awesome about it. However, you do want to minimize your weight due to the restrictions of the vessel and tipping and flipping. If you're taking a lot of stuff and you flip, you may lose. Remember this. You may lose everything, everything, even your boat, except for your life. Like you may lose it all under the water. Been there, done it. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. You may have to then hop a ride. That's when it becomes, there's three people in a canoe. Cause now we got to get out of here. Cause we've I've lost everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's done four. That's yeah. And it's doable. It's just not comfortable and yeah. it isn't the way we it was a necessity you yeah. go as necessity yeah. and so if you lose everything you know did you take your your most prized possessions with you i hope not so one of my favorite things about our kayaks ben is that the chair is actually removable so if i'm using my kayak if that's the vessel uh, of choice that i'm using for that day i don't worry about a chair because i can literally take my kayak seat out and set it on the bank and and that's what i'll use to have lunch or or at camp that is nice because when you get out on the bank it is nice to sit down but for me i've been sitting all day in my kayak or canoe and so i like to stand up walk around move but you know if you want to take a chair i would take something lightweight um they've got these rocker chairs now and it's like just I, I would minimize my weight, and so if that's a little camping chair, just something that that may help your back, take it. You know, um, there's a lot of different brands now that that um, are comfortable to take. Some people just take hammocks mm-hmm. and turn them into chairs too. So, whatever works best for you. And there's some things, honestly, that I see people bring on trips that can be left at home. And one of that comes to mind that I don't think a lot of people think about is towels. I see people with towels and their canoes. They're sitting on towels. They're wrapped up in towels. They have a bag of towels in their boat. It's the summer. Why do you need a towel? You're going to get wet. Just dry off. Plan yeah. to get wet. You're you're going on the river. Two, towels are so stinking heavy when they're wet. They're dangerous because they wrap up around people. I People end up with these dirty, muddy, wet weights in their boat Mm -hmm. and i don't understand people have four of them and i'm like why did you even bring a towel out here today yeah i always leave the towels out i don't bring towels so if you want to take a towel there's microfiber towels um they're not made of cotton and they are effective because let's say that some reason you want one and you're like brian there there aren't heavy towels there's you know we get it but what the point he's making is most people have a beach mm-hmm. cotton towel and those, when they get wet, they don't dry out. They hold water. So what's the point? So if your next reason is, well, because I want to remove the water from the bottom of my canoe as it gets in, then you can actually buy sponges. A car wash sponge uh, to clean your car with is a great one to take. I, I usually, because you can actually smash them down and like into tiny places. So if you need it though, you can sponge the water out. That's a great thing to take. Um, But there are microfiber towels that of course, when they get wet, they stay wet, but they do dry out faster than your cotton towels. If you have to take a towel for some reason. One of the things that's fun, I think to plan to bring is, is what food you're bringing. Like just thinking about that meal that you're going to have out there. Am I going to cook it? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. What's one of your favorite, what's one of your favorite river meals or or snacks to, to always have with you? You know, when we're taking groups of people out, I love for them to make pizza because it's just, I mean, you can't hardly mess pizza up. You know what I mean? The backpacking pizza. The backpacking pizza. You know, I love that. But for me personally, one of my favorite meals um, on the river is 
I, I really try to do this, and I've done this so many times, is I try to catch my fish. I take potatoes, and I love to eat fish and potatoes on fry, a paddling trip. Yeah. Fry them up in my, my little uh, uh, fry bake and, and enjoy it. Like, that is my favorite meal. And then to finish it off with the no-bake cookies, like backpacking no-bake cookies, like that's my go-to. And you and I have done that. But, mm-hmm. guys, that's a lot of work. It's and that's what we're talking about. Like, do you want to put the work in? To do these things. My favorite is a whole lot simpler. And I have so many <laughs> yep. memories of this. Uh-huh. And you, you, you're halfway into the day. By the, by the time it's like, say you get on the river at seven in the morning, by the time you've paddled and fished and, and done all this and been in the heat, by the time it's like 11, 11 30, everybody's like, can we stop and eat? Yeah. And it's try to get your whole group to stop and eat at the same location. But what I love is you, you get out, everybody gets their seat, whether they're sitting on a cooler or you pulled your kayak seat out and Usually the group's kind of there, maybe a half circle or a circle, and everybody starts pulling out all their venison products they had made from hunting season. So you've got meat mm-hmm. sticks. You've got, I love, I always have my homemade summer sausage in the yes, cooler. That's true. It's such a good river snack because you can make sandwiches out of it, yeah. or you can just cut a chunk off and gnaw on it if you're hungry for a, a snack at, at mid-morning. But passing around, you know, oh, try my jalapeno cheese. Oh, this one's maple bacon. Like everybody is proud of all these venison snacks that they had from from hunting season, harvesting deer. And I love sitting around and let everybody pass and, and try their favorite venison snack. That's good. Yeah, and that is. And and that's when you get into the staples. Like I, for some reason, every time I think about paddling growing up, we always took the Cheetos, the the puffy ones. Like that's, I don't know why, but we always took those. So now you're kind of getting into like ritual, like the family rituals of, of why are you going? Maybe because your family took you and you're, you're wanting to experience those memories again. So yeah, the foods that you enjoy, the things that you love to do, um, plan on taking them with you. You know, do you remember uh, brisk? brisk tea it no was like, i do what? remember it because i <laughs> drank it once and never drank it again it was like lemon flavored canned tea there's the I, commercials i remember like yeah. it was like punching some dude in the face brisk. or something yes brisk yeah i always remembered having those as a kid like i don't think my family ever bought them but the families we went with always did so I, that for some reason in my mind these these paddling trips i always remember like eating Deer sausage sticks and drinking brisk tea on the gravel bar. <laughs> but that's what that's what's so great about these trips is, is the memories that really stick with people. Mm-hmm. For, it is a lot of work, but it's so worth it because of the experiences and, and, and memories that come come from it. Um, you know, Brian, you talked about food, I, water. You know, I say food, fire, shelter, water. Make for sure that you are taking water and you're staying hydrated. That needs to go with you no matter what. So. Mm-hmm a high priority in your list, take water with you. Yep. What about the fun stuff? What about the toys? Are there different things you can throw in, squirt guns, pool noodles? Like what are some things to consider that you throw in that maybe make your day a little more exciting? Yeah, it comes back up to, to who's going with you, what's their age, um, how many. And then, yeah, there are all kinds of water toys. But, you know, I don't like to litter, not going to litter, going to teach and preach to, to not litter. So if it's not something that you can recover, um, then don't take it, you know. But I've seen people before take Frisbees. Um, they're, they're throwing Frisbees from, from canoe to canoe. Um, for me, when you say toy, though, my toy is going to be the fishing rod. <laughs> so that's what it is. That's that's my kind of fun toy inside of the activity itself. But One thing for kids, hand dip nets. I mean, yes. you give that was kids exactly hand-dip nets, mm-hmm. 
every place you stop all day, like they'll never put the hand dip net down. They'll mm-hmm. never let go of it. From salamanders to tadpoles to frogs to tur I mean, all day long, crawdads, they will have this hand dip net in their hand. They'll be fighting over it, so make sure you get enough for all of them. That is such a simple, affordable one to make sure that your kids are having fun. Plus, they're going to be learning and interacting with nature and the environment. Definitely recommend some hand dip nets. Ones that um, are great are if you actually go to the pet section uh-huh. at Walmart or the pet store the actual green handled nets that people buy for their aquariums to dip fish out with. They're actually made of like wire that's twisted together and rubberized and they have tight woven nets. Those are like the best ones for the river you can get. Yeah. I actually had to go to a pet store here recently um, to find one that Mm -hmm. was really good. It it was the pet store. Um, You know, you're talking about toys though. This is something that Brian taught me Um, growing up, talked about how much I love creeks and been on creeks. When I'm in a creek, I always would take um, what I called, glasses but uh yeah mask it's a mask you yeah. know and so brian i didn't realize this when he takes his kayak he has a bag that is mask and fins and snorkel and all that's in and he just slides it you know under the seat in his kayak or canoe and that is another toy that is so fun when you get to a deep pocket hole slap the mask on snorkel if you want to and get down there and look and see what lives there. It is really fun. It also comes invaluable if anybody loses anything. Yeah. You're, the, you're the person that can recover that for them. Um, but yeah, I, I usually always have it tucked up behind my seat, uh, kind of underneath the foam in my kayak. It's, it's always in there. We should address the safety thing before we close. What are some safety considerations for everyone to take into account before they go out on any kind of pedaling trip? Know your skills. Know what you know about you. So... Only do what you're comfortable with doing. And number two is always wear a life jacket, especially if you're doing what's called a float, not a paddle. You should be wearing them both. But most people that are going to just do a float, they're mixing alcohol and drowning is, man, it kills a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's it's not worth it to go out to want to have fun, enjoy it, and to, to have a death in the family or a friend, it's, it ain't worth it. So um, number one is know your limitations, like know what your skills are. Number two is wear the proper equipment, wear the, the if you life vest, uh, make sure you're taking the, the correct vessel for your body weight and make sure you're taking a paddle and then know the location you're going, know what risk could be there. You know, we teach a Missouri hazards class and where we live, we have to watch out for things like, you know, bears if we're camping, we're looking for venomous snakes while we're out. We have those. We're looking for poisonous plants along the way. And then looking at what other risk factors, you know, are we looking at uh, trees? Uh, You know, when you're camping, you're looking at trees high, you're looking at low, but then we're also having to watch for trees in our waterways because those create strainers, they can block the river system and they can, they can make you tip, flip, get hung up, drowned. And there's, Probably several more risks to take into fact there, but those are just the quick ones that I that I like to address here. Yeah, a few I want to touch on, and we said this before on many podcasts talking about outdoor adventure and trips. Tell someone that isn't going on the trip, you're going. Where you're going, your ETA, where you're starting, where you're ending, how long you're supposed to be out there. <clears throat> and Ben, you and I do this a lot. If I'm going somewhere and you're not going with me or vice versa, I'll say, hey man, I'm supposed to be done at five. If you don't hear from me by six, call me. Try to get a hold of me. If you can't get a hold of me by seven, come find me. Mm-hmm. And people really need to know where you need to go. Even if you have a group, say three boats are going, 
all of those people should be telling someone different at home, hey, I'm going to this spot, I'm leaving it this time, and I should be done around this time, and this is where it's going to be. That way, if something happens, they can come find you. They can come get you. Yeah, if you want to be found. If you want to be found. <laughs> if you don't, then don't. But right. th- that is such a good, you know, Brian shares that. We share that a lot. Um, let people know where you're going before you go. And then, you know, in the event of an accident, that's another thing that Brian and I have been teaching a lot in our survival programs is stay where the accident took place. Stay put. Um, because if you're telling people where you're going, you can be found a lot faster if you stay put than to continue to just move and travel and travel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and That's another good. thing is with the people, if you're going in a group, stay together. Mm-hmm. There, there are so many times where I see these groups get stretched out over four or five miles, and that isn't safe. You should always stay within seeing or shouting distance. Um, that w- I've kind of hinted at a. I've told the full story, I think, on a podcast episode we maybe did. last yep. year. But the one time where where I really was, it could have went either way. Uh, my buddy and I could, either of us could have died. What saved us was we were the last boat in our group. The boat ahead of us was in shouting distance. So as soon as the event happened, with all my lung power, yelled for help. Mm-hmm. And they heard us because they were within shouting distance. So stay within that that line of sight, that shouting distance, so that if something does happen, you have these people to come to, to have your back as, as reinforcements to come give you whatever aid you need. Learn from people with experience. I cannot say that enough. Like, Go with people that know what they're doing. If you have the opportunity to go with people that have already been on that stretch of river before, learn from them when you're out there. Learn to read the river. The river is telling so many stories based on how the surface water looks, what the bank looks like. Learn to read that river. And one of the best ways to do that is from people that that have already gained that experience. Learn from them. Take some of those experienced people with you. That alone is worth its weight in gold and safety on the river is having people that know what they're doing. You know, some other forms of safety we don't think about is, um, let me just share it this way. It's, It's being... Not, I mean, it's humbling yourself, but it's it's being honest. And so, you know, I've been with people before that we didn't communicate effectively as a group. And some of us thought that we were going to fish and some of us weren't planning on fishing at all. And when you have different um, reasons for going and wanting to accomplish out there, if you don't talk that out with your group, then there will be some issues that can arise within your group because maybe half the group wants to paddle really quick get to the campsite so they can spend a whole evening at the campsite and not paddle. Some people are like, I want to paddle all day and not spend much time at the campsite. So whatever you're planning and whatever group you have, figure out why they're going. What is it that we want to accomplish? What's your goals? And help everybody to accomplish that so that not only does it, um, it's more fun and stay safe because if you have half of your group heading on up ahead, you just talked about it, Brian, it's not safe anymore. A good rule of thumb is a football field. You we've want actually, to st- we've lost people before, Ben. Yeah, we've lost well, people. W- w- you mean what do you we, mean by lost them? We didn't know where they were. <laughs> but, yes, correct. They didn't die. Yeah, we, we found them. <laughs> we couldn't. We did not know where they were. Right yeah. at the time, they we definitely got separated. But that was because we didn't talk about it before, you know. And that's what I'm trying to say. You want as a rule of thumb. Let's say that you are with a group and you didn't talk to it about them. Here's the rule of thumb: stay a football field. It's 100 yards. Stay within 100 yards of that group. You know, you can go on up ahead. You don't have to communicate with them. You don't have to talk. You can do your thing. Stay 100 yards away from them, but stay within that range, and that's going to keep it more safe for the entire group. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Ben. Got a lot of experience, both of us. Yeah. On the river. Yeah. It's been so I'm, much fun. I'm talking, as a matter of fact, from, I, I guess, my first time to actually go down and play in the river, I was just a few months old. My family actually owned a farm that was on a river. We mm. had river frontage when I was a baby. And so I have been playing, floating, paddling the river my entire life on this earth. And I still love it to this day. Mm-hmm. I, I do it every single year. Uh, I absolutely love it. I love introducing. I love sharing. So many memories. I, I could do multiple podcasts just telling all the stories, but let's pick a few each and just tell some of our most favorite memories uh, of being on the river. Do you have any? I do. And, and you know, I wasn't... There's just so many that's coming through right now. Um, I've got some that are funny. I've got some that were hard, you know. Uh, some of my guiding trips were were a blast. I think the one that yeah, you know, let's share let's share some happy trails. Yeah, I think the one that sticks. But see, what I'm saying is, in those guiding trips, you can get into the outdoors, and when we talk about recreation, they're used for therapy, and it. Even though it's so tough in the moment, the end result is so rewarding that those memories stick out like they're they were celebration times, you know. Um, I think the ones though are really the ones that I went with my family growing up, um, and the reason that those probably are more near and dear to me than than even these awesome whitewater rafting experiences I've had is that I didn't have the knowledge I had, and so I could literally be in the moment. Um, relying on mom, relying on grandparents, relying on uncles, like, yeah. and, and not even knowing that. They packed the Capri Suns for yeah, you. Yeah, like having having everything there for you and all you had to do was show up. Um, those are probably the trips that I, I remember now the most because n- you've heard it in my voice. You've heard of what we talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so much that goes into it for me when I'm doing it that I no longer can just show up yeah. and be present and that be okay. But the message that I would take from that is we as adults, as parents, you as the listener, you can be the ones making those memories mm-hmm. for your nieces and nephews, for your children, for the kids in your neighborhood, for your kids' baseball team. You can be the one setting up, taking the lead on these trips, following some of the tips in this podcast and helping these kids have these memories that we have and that you have. Yeah. You know, I I remember, um, gosh, there's there's so many, Brian. I can't pick one, but but that is my biggest memory is are the times that I spent with my families as a child. Um, those are the ones that are probably most most near and dear to me. Well, I do have a lot. <clears throat> and uh, adventure and crazy stories just seem to follow me around when I go on paddling trips. <laughs> so we, I've told earlier and hinted at some of the crazy ones that I've had, but uh, I want to tell, I do want to tell a few. And one was actually as an adult, and my wife and I were on a family trip, and it was actually this was such a cool experience. We were actually on the island of Dominica. We were on a cruise. One of the islands we stopped at in the Caribbean was Dominica, and our excursion for the day was a float trip, an actual float trip, no paddles, just inner tubes. So we went up and we looked at this beautiful waterfall at the top of the mountain that was coming out of the springs, and as we came back down, there was a river that flows from these springs up in the mountains down into the bay and actually meets the ocean. Absolutely gorgeous. Jungle, bamboo, everything in between. We had to go meet 
the people that were taking us on this. So we got on this bus from a cruise ship. And we drove to where the, I'm going to say with quotations, <laughs> outfitter was. And it was a smaller, jankier bus <clears throat> and a little old Toyota pickup with <laughs> the pickup could probably realistically hold 10 inner tubes and it had like 150 <laughs> literally stacked up like a cartoon right right and these two guys driving it and they were like all right we'll take you to up to the head and, and we'll float back down to the hut and at the hut we'll have refreshments and snacks and stuff for you and your bus will pick you back up here and so we start following this little Toyota. It turns down, I'm not even going to say a dirt road, like a sand road, look like a horse trail. The weeds are scraping both sides of it, the canopy of the jungles. It is a jungle trail. And they have this cartoon stack of inner tubes in the back of their truck, and we're in this bus that it's probably like a 15-passenger bus, but there was 20 people in it. Wow, yeah. That sounds and like we're out following of the country them, for sure. And every 100 yards going down this trail half of the stack of inner tubes would fall off the truck. <laughs> and these guys would jump out. And I'm not kidding. They would literally have to throw. They had mastered tossing these inner tubes up to the top of this stack on the back of this tiny truck. We'd drive another 100 yards. We'd jump out. or They would jump out. They'd toss these inner tubes back up. We'd drive another 100 yards. The whole stack would come down again. They'd toss them back up. Everybody on the bus, we're getting frustrated like... Yes. Yeah. We're supposed to be going to do this float. Right. Can we please just get there? There's no buildings. We're just on a jungle road. You can kind of see the river off to our right a little bit. We don't know. It's just kind of uneasy, comical. Finally, after about the sixth time of all these tubes falling off, we start shouting on the bus. Everybody puts their windows down. Give them to us. Give them to us. So next thing you know. We have packed the inside of this overpacked bus already with tubes. You couldn't get out of the bus. There's no way you could have possibly got out of this bus. People are holding tubes on their lap. We crammed them in the aisles vertically. We all have our arms out the windows of the bus with tubes <laughs> hanging on our arms just so we could get to where we're going. Yeah. So here we go through the jungle, arms out the window, tubes hanging on our arms. Kind of claustrophobic feeling because we are jam-packed like sardines with tubes on top of us. Mm crazy and it's obviously hot yeah so hot we finally get to where we're going and it's literally like the trail just ends and there's a little tiny footpath down to the river we get there and i'm looking at this river it's like six inches deep and there's these big round boulders everywhere like the river there's no pools it's just these round rocks and boulders everywhere you look and jungle canopy coming in over the sides gorgeous yeah absolutely gorgeous yeah not like a place i've ever been but I'm thinking, are we even going to be able to float this? Right. Are we even going to get down That's it? That's what I was going to ask you. They put these life jackets on us. <laughs> it was like, they even had the things that go between your legs. Oh, those are the worst. <laughs> the snap in the crotch there. Gosh. Yeah, it wasn't the orange ones, but it was just like the cheapest child's life vest you could possibly <laughs> buy. And then they hand you a tube and you put your bottom in it. You had to ride. That was their rule. You had to ride on your bottom. You couldn't ride on your chest. Right. And there you go, down this river. And it was so awful, so beautiful, but it was so awful. We couldn't stop laughing because every 20 feet, you couldn't see where you're going because you're spinning and there's rapids. One of these boulders would just ram your butt. 
so hard. Oh my gosh. So all of us are like arching our backs, trying to keep our bottoms out of these yeah, tubes because you're just slamming into terrible. these rocks. With your... But it was so funny because it was so ridiculous. Yeah. That's how funny it was that we had to literally watch the cartoon truck with tubes. Right, right. Then we get in and we're bouncing. Like we're hitting speed bumps with our hind ends in this river and we're laughing together. Oh, there's another rock. Oh, there's another rock. And we finally, I think we went a couple miles like this. We finally get down to the end and it is like a shanty with literally like an orange construction cooler of who knows what kind of punch in it. That was a refreshment. That was a refreshment. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, I just need to get back to this cruise ship yeah. and get my sirloin <laughs> yeah. steak and lobster because I'm done with this. I think that's, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with the regulations we have in the States, but... I am thankful for that because you know it keeps it keeps these. Yeah, there was no regulation. That's what I'm saying. It, it just keeps these. I'm gonna say podunk because I don't know what else to say there. But mm-hmm. it, it keeps just these people that are like, oh yeah, I can go do that. It keeps them from ruining what people that want to be professional are doing. You know what I mean? So like, thankfully, no one got hurt on your trip. You know, I mean, you're talking about spine injury when you're jamming your <laughs> rear end into like. We didn't get hurt, but we definitely did all have. Bruise bruises behind them. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why they couldn't go head first, you know, because somebody's probably died doing that, and, yeah. and they can't. They realize they can't do that anymore. But you know, I'm just so thankful here in the states that we we do have rules and and things put in place, so that not only that doesn't happen, but also there's people that can make really cool equipment to make it more safe. That's fun to use too. Right. So I went whitewater rafting out in Colorado, mm-hmm. and we had to wear helmets. Yeah, yeah, we had to wear helmets, and I actually which they have monstrous like rock walls it's just so oh. it, it is well they let you design sometimes some places will let you add stuff to your helmet and you put crazy like yes. uh, crazy stuff on it to make decorate your helmet so it they, they make it so fun. beautiful and there were places like depending on the skill because we had a guide yes. in our raft yeah and and they put a couple strong paddlers which was me and my cousin up front yeah and we had pretty good control of this thing and there were places where you could go off if the guide under the guide's discretion and do like class fours and fives, but the trip was considered a class three trip. Right. And he had confidence in us. So we got to go do some of these things and he taught us how to do surfing. There were these rapids that were literally curling like a surfing wave and we'd spin that boat around backwards and everybody could just paddle up. Water is rushing by you like 20 miles an hour and this whole raft of people is just sitting stationary. But what, what that's telling me though is that he trusted you guys enough. He knew that you guys not only would listen to what he was telling you, but that you were strong enough because the front is the power and the back is the steering. And right. so he put he put trust in you and you guys proved it. So you got to go do some extra fun we stuff. We got to do extra right. fun stuff. It right. was really fun, but it did get dangerous. Mm-hmm. And my, I want to kind of share the comparison here. We had helmets on. We were trying to do one of these surf things and one of these higher class rapids. Didn't quite get all the way around. Caught our edge and actually hit our whole raft into one of those big, huge, like house-sized boulders. And when it did, I banged my head off the side of this rock. Yeah. Rung my bell a little bit, but I had a helmet on. Mm-hmm. They were following much more dangerous situation, following protocol, following regulations, and it was fun, more fun and safe, even though it was a more dangerous thing than this Dominica experience that was just <laughs> cheesy, cartoonish, kind of fun because it was so comical and, and yeah. ridiculous. Those are awesome stories, yeah. man. Yeah, I hadn't heard the I hadn't heard about the the inner tube one. That's <laughs> that's wild. Yes. But really to to summarize all this Ben, what are just a few simple words that people can remember if they're going to set out to plan a trip to make memories with people they love. Yeah, and again, there's so much planning that goes into it and that's why I want to help you. Like I don't want this 
everything we talked about shouldn't stress you out. It should just make you realize, you know what, should I go completely through an outfitter? Because there are so many now. Should I use the outfitter for bits and pieces of this and, and I bring the rest or, or I drive whatever that is? Or am I doing this completely from beginning to end? And so here's some things to think about. First is, why are you going? Why? Is this a relaxing trip or do you find enjoyment um, not only spending time in trip planning, but you find fun in the hard work that it is sometimes in paddling? So um, why are you going? Next is who? Who is going with you? So how many and what's their age? You know, you may even have to look at what is their weight and how can you accommodate for those three things, both number, age, and weight. You know, next is when are you going? So what are the seasons? So what is the temperature, air temperature? And then also, what is the temperature of the water? You know, there are some vessels that you're going to have to take a neoprene cover. You know, you may be wearing a neoprene suit. Here in the Ozarks, if I'm going in March, I may have to have um, some different clothing that I'm going to wear. I'm going to wear a neoprene suit um, to protect my body because those water temperatures, you know, in the nights is getting 30 degrees. So again, when are you going? And that also leads to in the wind is um, the flow. You know, are there going to be stretches of the water that are non-navigable and I'm going to have to push my trip down river to where it gets deeper? Next is where? So where, which we're looking at what type of waterway am I going to be on? And within that, what are all the rules? What are the rules um, for me being in this waterway? And then next is how, which for me, when I'm looking at the how, it's how am I getting there safely and how am I getting back home safe? And so that may be transportation. Um, you know, it's my trip itinerary. It's all the things that I'm going to need um, to do. And then lastly is what, um, which is what am I taking? And, you know, to make it really short and sweet, it's food, fire, shelter, water. You know, we've talked about some first aid, hygiene, tools and weapons, and then looking at toys. What are the fun things that I'm going to do along the way? We have thrown so much at you in this podcast. We hope that we haven't overwhelmed you. We hope that if you have questions, you do feel comfortable enough to reach out to us and trust us as a resource to help you get out and enjoy some time uh, on these rivers with your family and friends. Great ways to reach us, m2boutdoors at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook Instagram, send us a direct message through any of those. We have the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q&A page. If you want to interact or maybe give some feedback and tips that we missed, we definitely didn't cover everything. Maybe we said something that was silly and, and you could correct us and, and help us have better experiences as well. We are so thankful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. Please share with your family and friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Leave a review on whatever platform that you are listening that is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. We hope that between now and that time that you find time to plan a floating or paddling trip. And as always, remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.